0: So we're hearing like, lyrics like, nothing you could say can tear me away from my guy. Oh no, oh no, that's terrible.
1: Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. are your hosts aaron dicer and jeremy scott or there's one option where this all goes away agree to have the baby and go back to him you really think you didn't know you were secretly using birth control hello everybody welcome to Recotopia episode 89 i'm jeremy scott and i'm dicer and welcome to the chat already lively talking about well, I don't want to say what they're talking about. Somebody <laughs> tried to steal somebody's seat, but he didn't get up in time. I mean, I don't know. Today's big recommend is The Invisible Man from 2020. Uh, 2020, the way normal people say it. Uh, but before we dive into the big recommend, uh, Aaron, did you bring any small recommends this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee.
0: I did in what is maybe the most surprising small recommend I will ever give, uh, on this show, uh, in honor of the spooky season, I saw the original child's play and loved it. Um, I don't know what I was expecting here. Um, (laughs) I, I think, I think I have in my mind this idea that eighties style horror films, and this is late eighties, uh, style horror films are just, you know, blood and gore and punish the teens who are having sex and, you know, w- whatever the case may be. And I was not expecting the level of self-aware humor that is hmm. in this movie. I wasn't expecting it to be such a comedy. Hmm. Um and I I guess maybe that's on me like I should have known by the, the posters and the artwork or whatever but again I'm completely disconnected from this franchise this character everything. Um, I think this is a competent little fun horror comedy um, and it reminds me a little bit of kind of the move even recently to horror comedies you know like a lot of the horror films have that self-aware kind of style to them. Um, I I think the 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 comedy work I laughed a lot. Um, I think the portrayal of the doll is really good for the late 80s, like as far as like how they managed to do it. Um guy's name just totally slipped my mind. He was like Tombs in the X Files, and he he does the the voice of Chucky. Oh, I I, th- I think um, he's Brad Dorff. Brad Dorff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he is excellent in this. I think his his voice performance for this doll is great. I the thing I really, really respect about this movie is it makes the rules for its world and then just says i know these rules are crazy but we're living by them Mm -hmm. and it's just like everybody to me in this movie kind of reacts like how you would expect them to react and with like it's i don't know i look i wasn't expecting a lot so that may have a lot to do with it but i came away actually pretty impressed by child's play so
1: i uh i only saw this film once when we made a video for it on youtube um and so i was wearing that hat and i didn't really watch it with the right eyes. But um, yeah, maybe I'll go back to it at some point. I don't know. It's, it, it's weird how this job that we do has changed my taste uh, regarding horror because i, I believe it's di- a direct result because when you when you make a video like we make on youtube mm-hmm. on a horror movie you take everything in the horror movie seriously and that makes the horror movie ridiculous uh and once that is lifted I, I, it just opened the door for me to be able to watch more uh, horror movies and not feel like i was gonna be grossed out or scared all the time or what have you but i think Comic horror is always going to be my favorite subgenre of mm-hmm. horror. Um, I yeah. like some laughs with my, my scares.
0: Um, I will say, before we move on, Chad has rightfully corrected me. Um, Tombs in X-Files was actually uh, Doug Hutchinson. I get those two mixed up sometimes, so I apologize. But it is Brad Doroff in Child's Play. Who's Doug um, Hutchinson? Um, he was Tombs in the X-Files and oh. has done some other things. <laughs> Full circle, well. now I get it. <laughs> um, I watched X-Files, but not enough to know who the hell Toombs
1: was. <laughs> um, all right, my first big recommend, or small recommend, ooh, careful, Jeremy, uh, this week is a movie, uh, which is kind of rare for me, and it's a brand new movie, 2023. This is on Amazon Prime. It's a Prime original called Totally Killer. Um, this stars Kiernan Kipka. Shipka. Uh, Kiernan Shipka. <laughs> I screwed up her name. I apologize. She's so talented. Um, This is a movie uh, that is what we were just talking about, uh, comic horror. It's almost as interested in making you laugh as it is giving you any kind of scares. Karen and Shipka plays a girl whose mom, uh, when she was in high school in 1987 was almost the victim of a serial killer. And her three best friends in 1987 were victims of a serial killer. They called him the sweet 16 killer because he stabs his victim 16 times. And they disappeared after killing three of the four mean girls in this movie. This movie is basically mean girls meets back to the future. Um, it, it, very openly wears its Back to the Future proudly. She con- constantly asks people when she gets back to 1987. Oh, by the way, there's time travel. Uh, she constantly asks <laughs> me when she gets back to 1987. Have you seen Back to the Future? And if they say no, she tries to explain it. If they say yes, she's like, okay, then this is what's happening to me right now. Um, basically, her mom, the serial killer shows back up after 30-some years, kills her mom, and then comes after her, and she runs to the science fair. Just go with me here. Uh <laughs> has built a time travel device out of uh, a photo booth. She runs in there to hide and things happen, hijinks, she goes back in time to 1987. And so her goal at this point is to find someone who will believe her and then help her try to stop the killer and that will keep him from killing her mom in the future. Um, And I don't really want to say anything else except a lot of the fun is how casual everyone in the 80s was about everything. Like one example, she goes to the school's office, she's not a student, uh, and asks what class a certain student Student is in, and she has this whole thing ready to go. And the lady just t- says, Oh, he's in 3G science or whatever. And she's like, What the hell is up with this? Like, nobody checks her ID or anything like that. And so she's constantly running into these little humorous moments. Uh, I enjoyed it. I had a really good time. There are some stabs that are openly on screen. And that's the only thing holding me back from recommending it to my wife. I think she would really enjoy the humor here. Um, but there's some typical slasher stuff in there as well. Um, So there you go. Uh, Totally killer on Amazon Prime. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Uh, Sounds great. It's definitely on my list. Uh, I will check it out eventually. Um, I was trying to do some research. I think this is the same people that did another horror comedy recently that I liked, but I couldn't find out uh, what it was. But was there one with like Vince Vaughn maybe or? Oh
1: yeah, uh, Freaky
0: this is, is, is very it much
1: in, in the vein of vein of freaky i don't okay. think it's the same filmmaker oh you don't
0: think it's the same people though okay
1: uh happy right. death day very much in that vein and there is a film that chad has brought up uh called final girls that totally killer keeps getting compared to and I, I i haven't seen final girls but from what i've read about it they literally end up inside the world of a horror movie where her mom had been the star and, and died and they have to use mm. their knowledge of horror tropes to survive sounds awesome i can't wait to watch it after uh having seen this Uh, and maybe there's more similarities than i realize
0: uh but it it does sound a lot like happy death day especially because happy death day wore its groundhog day stuff on its sleeve right like it would mention the movie and talk about the movie and so like if it wears the back to the future stuff on its sleeve like that's um you know could feel very similar so yeah definitely on my list i will get around to it at some point for sure all right you got a second Uh, small I do. My second small small recommend also comes uh, from the late 80s slash early 90s. uh, As I'm making my way, catching up on some stuff from around then. Uh, Saw Joe versus the Volcano for the first time uh, incomplete. And uh, really, really enjoyed this movie. I think this movie is ahead of its time. I think you release this movie within the last 10 years, and it does so much better than it did uh, in the 80s because Mm. it has that... Almost, it has pop sensibility, but auteur kind of undertoning, right? And we see a lot of that now where it's like, It's poppy. It can be poppy and fun, but there's also like the interesting decisions that are being made with the, you know, the, the tone and the visuals and that kind of thing. So, Joe versus the Volcanoes, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but it's not Sleepless in Seattle, right? Like this is a completely different film for them. Please don't go in expecting that. (laughs) Uh, It starts almost Terry Gilliam esque, you know, with like office culture and drab and dreary stuff going on in Tom Hanks' life. Um, and then we kind of see this thing develop, where he is offered this chance to do something after he finds out uh, that he only has so long to live, and it really is a story of him finding his soul. Um, and the he way literally the movie... says something like "I'm missing my soul," but he's talking about his shoe, but he's obviously not. Yeah, yeah. But the movie is is full of metaphor. It's full of interesting moments. I think it's my favorite Meg Ryan performance ever because she mm. plays three roles, mm-hmm. and all three are very distinct and interesting. Um, the third role is more like the typical Meg Ryan role, uh, but the first two are quirky and interesting, and I really enjoyed them. Um, I love where this movie goes. I it's it almost <laughs> has it's like Terry Gilliam meets Princess Bride in some mm. ways because mm. it has a very storybook kind of feel to it even starts with once upon a time and ends with they live happily ever after mm-hmm. you know kind of ideas so um so yeah if you haven't seen joe versus the volcano even if you're just a tom hanks fan i think you're gonna like this movie he's good in it it's tom hanks um so yeah i that's have my... not seen this movie in probably 15 20 years our mutual friend josh loves this movie i get it totally um, get it
1: yeah and he's the one that exposed it to me exposed me to it well, exposed us to each other, um, <laughs> and while I remember really enjoying it, I only want to add a caution: people understand this movie is bonkers. Okay, it so is. Yes. If if the, if, you, if Terry Gilliam didn't make you think this movie might have some bonkers, then I just wanted to let you know there's bonkers. Uh, but I, it's it's very much. I like the Princess Bride comparison. It's more of a what's the word I'm looking for? Storybook works, I guess. It's bad mm-hmm. radio for me to just sit and try and think of a word. Sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah it's not a straightforward narrative i don't think you're supposed to believe this is like real life correct Um, yeah yeah well i'm glad you enjoyed it um i did very much you are um you are an admirable man that you every week pursue films that you've never seen (laughs) um whereas i I had to start a podcast like this so that i would see films that i've never seen my second small recommend this week is not a movie nor is it a food or beverage item it is a puzzle um it's called uh, odd pieces um now i don't know about you guys but my family my mom's a huge uh jigsaw puzzle fan uh my brother's wife and his three kids are huge jigsaw puzzle fans um and i married a huge jigsaw puzzle fan now we don't my wife and i don't get to do a lot of jigsaw puzzles because we have three cats and if you have cats and have ever tried to do a puzzle I think you probably know why we don't do very many puzzles but i came across this on instagram it was an ad um this is not an ad mean to you uh but it looked interesting it's a jigsaw puzzle where the puzzle that you put together the picture is not the same as what's on the box um something has happened it's a it, it's you as you can see in the image if you're watching the video it's a very where's Waldo type scene there's no kay. Waldo here uh the one we did was a school uh, and so there's a cafeteria and an auditorium and a gymnasium and a bunch of classrooms and a library and there's kids and teachers all over the place and then the the puzzle as we're putting it together, we've discovered a couple explosions a couple of kids have been knocked down a couple of kids are pointing in the sky and basically as you put the puzzle together, you're supposed to un cover the mystery of what happened. There's a little three page comic book that you read before you start. And then there's a sealed thing that you read at the end, which promises some kind of dun-dun-dun, but we haven't opened it yet because we haven't finished the puzzle. It's a thousand pieces. And this is the most high quality puzzle I've ever seen in terms of it's, it's thick, solid pieces. Um, and we're about 75% of the way done with it. Um, and we've really had a good time. It, just trying to speculate on what happened in the library. I don't know. That thing is over here now, but it was over there. Um, and just spotting all the little details in the artwork. Like there's there's cats all over the school. we found four cats so far. Um, anyway, this uh, has been a really fun experience. We bought one to take to the family for Thanksgiving so that uh, all the puzzle lovers can do this as well. Uh, and I highly recommend it. So there you go. I bought mine on Amazon. They have their
0: own website. Um,
1: you can get it on either place.
0: There you go. That sounds really fun. Uh, it's a puzzle in two regards, you know. Yes, it's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle, and then it's a story puzzle as well. So yes, I and love
1: that. Uh, it's it's fascinating because you can't do it like a normal puzzle because you, you look at your reference sheet, and the library mm-hmm. is still going to be where the library was, but the kids may not be all in the same place. So right. you can't necessarily go. Okay, the piece I'm looking for has a kid in a green shirt with glasses because he may not be there anymore. Um, so it's, it's been challenging, and it's super detailed. So you can't, you can't like, cover a whole swath real quickly just by getting all the green pieces or something. It's really, really intricate.
0: And you can find this on Amazon or... Yep. Okay,
1: cool. That odd pieces. Just Google odd pieces. You'll find their website. On their website, they offer you the option to check out with Google, um, which is what I did. Uh, nice. I mean, not Google, Amazon. So very, pieces. very cool. All right, everybody. It's time for this week's big recommend. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so... Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Uh the Invisible Man movie I had not seen in a couple of years, and that I was very excited to go back to.
0: Let's dive into it. I have so many notes. I imagine Aaron has notes as well. Um, <laughs> not a single note. It's all you uh, this time. I, I, it just you know, it's just such a, it's a, just a movie that just kind of goes by. There's nothing interesting that happens. So. <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, I love the way this film opens with waves crashing on the beach and then the water kind of reveals invisible credits for a few seconds and then we pan up to see this gorgeous mansion on a hill above the ocean. Uh, There's very little audio throughout the whole film, but especially in this opening scene as we silently watch Cecilia get out of bed at three something in the morning. She's got a go bag in a vent that she's filled with passport and clothes and other things. She turns a security camera on her presumed boyfriend. We don't really know yet. We'll find out later. Um, and then she pulls up that security feed on her phone so she can make sure he's in bed while she moves around the house to get ready to get out. Very clear that she's had this planned for some time. But as she leaves through the garage, she encounters the dog. And the dog has a shock collar not, Um not going to say anything about those. Uh, some people use them, some people don't, but she's clearly bothered by that shot collar. And she says, I'm not going to leave you with this thing on, which is really kind of odd because d- dude's just going to put it back on the dog tomorrow. But anyway, when she's pulling the collar off, she bumps the car. That sets off the car's alarm. Now she has to run. And she runs down to the wall and climbs up over the wall. And there's this awesome shot where as she comes up over this huge concrete wall, we see lights on in the house coming on. And now we know. Her boyfriend is up. She runs down this huge hill. She's clearly expecting a car to be there, but there's no car. Panics for a second, and then finally the car approaches. and She gets in, and it's her sister, Emily, um, as we will learn. She has not told Emily why this is happening. Um, so Emily has questions. Instead of just hitting the gas, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Why am I here? But then Adrian, the boyfriend, who was awoken by the car alarm, appears at the door. He's very angry, yelling, violent, punches. The window smashes it, reaches it, and tries to grab Cecilia. And finally, Emily hits the gas, and they take off. Cecilia dropped her medication, diazepam, I believe, um, that she had used to drug Adrian so that he would be more soundly asleep when she left. Um, We then jump to two weeks ahead, and Celia's staying with her friend, James, and his daughter, uh, Storm Reed. Um, James, uh, I looked him up a few minutes before we started the show. He played the Hawkman in Black Adam. I knew I had seen him in something recently, um, and I think he's really good both in that and in this. He encourages her to go outside, look gestures at the mailbox. Um, it's clear he's been trying to get her to go outside, go to the mailbox for the, probably the last two weeks. She tentatively goes outside, starts towards the mailbox, gets ready to open it, and a jogger shows up and comes by, and she's terrified And runs back inside. We find out that's the farthest she's gone uh, since she stayed there. I think this movie has a lot to say about mental health as well as Mm -hmm. uh, abuse. Um, And I I feel like a lot of the portrayal of Cecilia's fear is pretty well done, pretty genuine. We don't ever visually see any of what he did to her. She will talk about it at some point, but um, yeah, victims of that kind of abuse would probably have that kind of panic, uh, not be able to go out in public. Her sister shows up, and she's jumping all over because Adrian knows where you live. He's going to follow you here. But eventually, her sister gets out. Hey, Adrian's dead, um, died by suicide. She's summoned to a law office, happens to be Adrian's brother, Tom, for the reading of Adrian's will. Uh, Adrian has left her $5 million dollars that she's going to get in $100,000 monthly installments, assuming she's not convicted of a crime, yada, yada, yada. That will become important. Um, and one of my favorite things about Cecilia uh, in this movie is that she immediately turns around and takes some of that money she, she got and spends it on the people who've been helping her and keeping her emotionally safe, James and uh, Sydney. She buys a new ladder for James because his ladder was a piece of crap. And, um, she starts a bank account that she's going to keep putting money in that will send Sydney to the fashion college that she wants to go to. Uh, and I just love that in the, in the midst of all of this, where it would be okay for her to be selfish. It would be okay for her to be self-centered right now. And she's immediately thinking about these other two people in her life. (laughs) The chat says, they thought I said she bought a new bladder for James. And that would be a very different movie. Um, the next morning, she's making breakfast. James goes off to work, and she goes to wake up Sydney. Uh, and in an incredibly creepy scene, uh, we see the fire under the skillet uh, go up, meaning someone or something we pretty much know right at the outset that it's, it's invisible Adrian because the movie's called Invisible Man. Um, but it's still creepy. And one of my favorite things about this movie is how Lee Winnell uses the camera uh, because he uses these steady setup shots, but then he also uses these long, slow pans left and right. And the first few times he does the long, slow pans, there's nothing really happening for you to see because he's setting you up for the times when he does the slow pans and there is something for you to see, like that skillet that flares up. She comes back down and there's a huge fire and she and Sydney put the fire out. Everybody, hopefully you knew this before you watch this movie, but never throw water on a grease fire. Uh, Sydney knew this teenager. Cecilia did not know this. So then um, we see her typing late at night and then she, I guess, gets creeped out. Uh, There are some clicking noises that thankfully the subtitles told me about because I could almost never hear them Mm. when Mm -hmm. they were in the film. But she moves around the house and it's clear that she thinks somebody is in the house. And one of the best shots in the whole movie, maybe one of my favorite shots of all time, she goes out on the front porch and we can see her breath because it's cold outside. And then behind her, we see the breath of of an invisible assailant. And it is creepy as hell. I meant to mention uh, earlier on, we have a setup shot of James's house from the street. And then before this moment, we have the same setup shot at night. Uh, when uh, Adrian comes to uh, haunt her. And I just think it's really intentional the way he shoots this film. So now we know for sure something is going on and she's not paranoid, though no one else will believe her for quite some time. Later, the invisible person takes her sheets off and takes pictures of her with a flash. I don't know about you, but if you took a picture of me with a flash while I'm sleeping, I'm going to wake up. She does eventually wake up and she goes and tries to pull the sheet back, but something invisible and heavy is standing on it and it can't. she can't move it. And then she sees footprints in the sheet coming towards her. And she freaks the heck out. And James comes in and she tries to explain what's happening. And uh, nobody believes her. They're starting to think that she's losing her mind. She goes to a job interview. Um, and this guy is creeping. He's not like the villain of the movie, but he calls her beautiful. And I, I, I think this guy is intentional because that's the way the world is. That's the way the world treats women. But when she opens her portfolio, all of her work is gone. She obviously realizes, oh, Adrian has stolen mine portfolio to mess with me, and she has a panic attack and collapses. She goes to Tom, the lawyer brother of Adrian, and begs him to get Adrian to stop tormenting her. She says she believes Adrian is still alive and has found a way to become invisible. When she says this, James is there with her. When she says this, the way James looks at her is incredible because he did not know any of this, and he was there to support his friend, and she starts spouting this insanity, and he's like, what? He does a double take. It's awesome. He doesn't believe her. Tom doesn't believe her and actually shows her a picture of Adrian's dead body. She goes to her sister for help and somehow... Adrian has hacked into her computer and sent her sister a vile email of hatred. So her sister slams the door on her. She goes home and opens the email, looks at the sent email, and bawls at what has been sent to her sister. Then Sydney tries to comfort her, but invisible Adrian, who I might add is a dickhead, hits Sydney. And that causes Sydney to believe that Cecilia hit her. And so Sydney and James leave. And that night, Cecilia goes hunting in the house for invisible Adrian. Uh, she calls his phone. She does a lot of smart things that I think she accidentally in this movie. She calls his phone and hears it ringing above her. So she goes up into the attic and finds his phone, finds a knife and finds all her designs from her portfolio, finds pictures of her in bed the night he took the pictures. And then the phone texts from an unknown number the word surprise. So before she leaves the attic, she has a genius idea and she ends up throwing paint down uh, and he's right freaking there. And it's scary. This movie has several scares that are just really effective and it almost never uses music uh, in those scenes. Very much aware of how the invisibility requires audio to be part of what you're seeing and hearing and taking in. So she goes downstairs, she's trying to find him. She hears the sink. Somehow this dude washed off all that paint in the sink in a very short amount of time. That's never addressed. I don't really care.
0: Um, <laughs> i'll just I'll just stop you there and say, I will not be spending most of my notes on nitpicking, but this is possibly the most easily nitpicked movie that I love. Like there are so many things about this movie that, if you start to think about them, completely fall apart. but it is but it the movie's so good it doesn't matter but continue the chat is saying maybe it wasn't paint so that's that's fair too i don't know it looked like paint to me but that's fine either way it shouldn't have been that easy to completely get off of that suit Uh, i agree um
1: he starts beating the crap out of her in the kitchen uh and she manages to break some plates over his head uh and subdue him long enough to get up and run out of the house She goes to his house, Adrian's house, and makes, nitpicking, a whale of a guess on the security (laughs) keypad in his lab that it's the date they met. Um... And it's right. And she finds the spare
0: second invisibility suit, realizes she's right about all of this. At least third, actually. It would have to be at least the third suit we will come to find out. But she doesn't know that. Yes, Yes,
1: there would have to be a third suit. She hides it in the closet. Just then, Adrian arrives and invisibly attacks her. But the dog intervenes and she escapes. She calls her sister begging. To meet her in a public place her sister agrees uh and this is probably the most memorable scene for most people in the movie uh before she can really even tell her sister much of anything the knife on the table comes up in the air slashes her sister's throat and then zips over to cecilia's hand and a nearby diner looks over and screams and it's i wrote in all caps awesomely horrific she's publicly Uh, uh, properly arrested for murder taken to a psych cell she finds out that she's pregnant which is just i can't even imagine what how devastating that would be in this moment um and then tom adrian's brother visits and basically reveals his evil and says if you agree to have this baby and quote unquote return to him all of the criminal charges will go away and i made a note here where i don't think that's possible I know that Adrian is a super rich CEO,
0: inventor guy, but... anything's possible
1: in this movie? There's so much evidence against
0: Cecilia here. This movie doesn't deal with how he faked his death either. All we know is there was a picture taken, like... He needed a body and a death certificate at some point. When uh,
1: they (laughs) they find him in the basement, and the cops are like, well, it must have been Tom, and then no one ever goes, why would he have faked his own death two weeks ago? Anyway, Or,
0: Or why did we, like... Like, how did we decide he was dead? Like, did, was there no body? Like, shouldn't yeah. there have been an investigation if he's... <laughs> there was a news article. Um. So, yeah, she att- attempts uh,
1: suicide in the shower, but I think she's just trying to lure Adrian out. Not sure how and why Adrian got in there. That was probably a ballet of orchestrated waiting and slipping through doors. That's fine. But uh, a fight ensues and she escapes out of her cell and Adrian kills all the prison guards in the world uh, as they come two by two, around the corner, uh, and there's some very, very cool, clever, invisible action in this moment. So she grabs a gun, even manages to shoot him in the stairwell and wound him, chases him out into the parking lot, pouring rain. This is the scene where I realized God, this guy is never going to use score in this movie for these big moments of tension. He's just going to let the raindrops be mm-hmm. the tension. Yeah, The guards are kind of coming out there looking for her. They stalk each other in the parking lot. He eventually grabs her, uh, lifts her up. His suit is glitching. I think that's going to be important later. Uh, but, but because she shot him, um, the, the suit is sometimes visible and then sometimes not. Even in the hallway, there's a—he's behind a guard. She's like, "He's behind you!" And he glitches on, and then the suit goes off, and the guard turns and doesn't see anything. It's awesome. Uh, and he says, "You think you're getting a, a one over on me? Uh, but you know, if you try to hurt me, I'm—I'm I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to hurt the people you love." And now it's your fault that that little girl's gonna die. Insinuating that he's gonna go kill Sydney. Some guards show up. Some more hollow blue. Where they end up leaving separately. Uh, she causes a car accident, shooting, trying to shoot at him, and then steals the car accident victim's car. She calls James and says Sydney's in danger. Go to your house. Sydney's in danger. I think Adrian's gonna go there and do something to her. She races there, but Adrian is already there beating up Sydney. James arrives before Cecilia and gets the absolute shit beat out of him by invisible quote-unquote Adrian. Uh, but note that the suit is not glitching in this scene when he's beating up Sydney and beating up James. Uh, Cecilia arrives just in time, sprays fire extinguisher all over him, basically making him visible and then shoots him four or five times. He falls down dead. She demasks him and it's dun dun dun, it's Tom. It's not Adrian. But, and, and I think it's worth discussing I believe that prison like escape, I believe that was Adrian. And from the the next time we see the invisible guy, that is Tom. And Adrian has gone home to lock himself in the basement or what have you.
0: Well, you want to have this discussion now or later? We
1: can do it later. Okay. So the SWAT guys then go to Adrian's house, find Adrian tied up in his basement. But Cecilia's not buying it. And so she calls him. We don't really hear that conversation. He says, I'm so glad you called. And she goes to his house, and he's laid out this spread of food. Um... And it's wild that this is really the only scene this actor gets to do any acting in. He's this huge presence, this entire film, this character, but he's invisible. So she basically says, I need you to tell me the truth, that it was you that did all this to me. We cut outside and we see that James is listening in. She's wearing a wire. She's trying to get him to confess, but he won't do it. He swears up and down. It was Tom, um, even when she breaks down. So she excuses herself to go clean up and, well... We see, we see Adrian forcefully lifted up, grabbing a knife and cut his own throat, but it's pretty clear to us that she has put on the, the, hit, the hidden suit and she comes out and slashes his throat, um, disappears. This is all on recorded security camera, as she knows. Then she walks back in non-invisible, like everything's fine, and acts like she's discovering a suicide victim, even calls 911. And as she goes to leave, she runs into James, who is on his way in, and he thinks that she's freaking out because she was freaking out on the 911 call, but she's totally fine and calm. And He starts looking at her sideways, and then he looks down and sees the invisibility suit in her bag, and there's no question he knows exactly what has happened. But she's like, what did it sound like, James? And he's like, it it sounded like he killed himself. Um, So he reluctantly signals that he's going to go along with her story. And then she leaves the house, and the final shot is her pausing and smiling. And it's not a creepy smile. It's a smile of freedom. This is the first moment she's had since she met Adrian that she isn't scared. Um, And I love the final shot of the film.
0: Uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts on... The Invisible Man. I have many and varied thoughts. Okay. Um, first, I will start with, I uh, really love this movie. I I think it most of it comes down to things you've talked about already, which is it's brilliantly executed, brilliantly shot. The way that uh, Winnell uses lock-offs is fascinating to me in this movie. Um, I specifically think of that breakfast burning scene, which is our first real proof of the Invisible Man is that scene, right? And it just stays on this wide shot as breakfast burns, and then they come in and and take care of it and everything. And the reason he's doing this is for us to imagine where the Invisible Man is on the screen. So Mm. you're seeing lots of wide shots, like you said, wide pans, those kind of things. And it's all in an effort for us psychologically to be going, oh my goodness, he could be anywhere in this entire room doing what he's doing. Um, and I think all of that stuff is is what makes the movie really sing. The second part of what makes the movie just absolutely work, no matter how many nitpicky issues I have with it, is named Elizabeth Moss. I think she is astonishing in this movie. I think it is a an absolutely amazing performance. Um, She is asked to do a lot and she delivers all the way down the line. Uh, Aldous Hodge is, is great. And by the way, if you haven't seen um, One Night in Miami, he's great in that as well uh, and well worth your watch. Storm Reid is great. She's great in Euphoria as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, she's been in several things recently. Um, she
1: almost steals the Suicide Squad movie with one scene. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, she's great in The Last of Us uh, TV show. like she's yep. She's doing really good work. Um, but Elizabeth Moss is just absolutely uh, incredible in this. I love how like the little character beats are so interesting. He there's always a moment. I I go back to her taking the um the shot collar off the dog. We learn something about her in that moment, mm. right? Mm. Like the the logic isn't all there, but her heart is there, and we're learning who this is. In fact, that entire opening scene throws us into something that we have no context for. And yet within three, four minutes, we know exactly what's happening. Yep. And that that's really skilled filmmaking there because it's all visual. There's no exposition to it. There's no language to it. It's very Hitchcockian in that way. That opening scene mm. um, is, is pretty amazing. Speaking of the opening scene, I have to tell this story a little bit of an aside. When we saw this in the theater, my wife and I, the pre, you know how they do like pre-theater music, you know, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When the movie started, somebody accidentally started that music stream as well. Oh, no. So the the entire first scene has no music. It's all like, you know, uh, environmental effects and those kind of things. But on our screening, it was the old Motown song, My Guy. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Oh no! So we're hearing like lyrics like nothing you could say can tear me away from my no, guy. Oh no! Oh no! That's terrible. Oh man! Sticking to my guy like a stamp to a letter. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, I, so I'm sitting here going, wait, is this intentional? Like you know, like some sort of intentional like tension between the lyrics of the song and what's going on. Um, it actually oh, kind yeah. of worked in some ways, but not really. It's much better oh, without uh, the music. So I had to tell that story. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. It was the best. Uh, so yes, uh, that beginning escape scene just puts you in a place that I think the rest of the movie delivers on. It's so tense. So chilling. We know nothing about the situation yet. We know everything about the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I like how we, uh, we even, we know what's going on pretty early on. There's no doubt in our mind as the audience, what is happening even before she knows for sure, and definitely before everybody else knows for sure, the audience knows for sure what's going on, even with that. I think the movie does a good job at selling us on how it could be misunderstood. Like there like there the the gaslighting is intense in this mm-hmm. movie, but you can completely see how everybody falls for it. Like you you can see it from their perspective that, you know, She was in a bad relationship, a toxic relationship. It damaged her. And now she's, you know, losing her touch with reality. And like, it works like that, that kind of outside perspective, even though we know what actually is going on works, like there's some empathy for it
1: mirrors the way women who are assaulted are treated when they report an assault correct and yes. that they are treated with incredulity uh as though you have to you have to prove yourself first like you might as well be saying that you live with an invisible man um that mm-hmm. scene i mentioned where james looks at her when she mentions the invisibility thing is is, is i think an intentional
0: parallel of the way men behave when women tell them what has been done to them sorry to interrupt <clears throat> yeah no, no 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 that's that's exactly right and that's the other thing the movie is so good at is being um, this very direct metaphor for you know what it's like to be gaslighted what it's like to uh, not be believed um, and yeah the movie does all of that very very well uh let's see uh, the restaurant scene uh, the the slice the restaurant slice. Uh, I think would be in a discussion for one of the greatest movie moments uh, in cinema history. I think it is that good. Um, It is so well-timed. The timing on that is so perfectly uh, surprising, shocking, gasp-worthy. You do not expect it to happen at that moment. The, the the It gives you a brief moment right before that of feeling like, okay, the, the sister is going to be there for, they laugh about something together. Like there's a moment where even as we've seen these two in tension, we're like, okay, these two are coming together and it happens so fast, yep. so quickly. And it's so perfect. And it also does that thing that great movies do where it's like, oh my goodness. How is she gonna get out of this one? Yep. Like how how in the world do you explain this? You know? And uh and so yeah, I I just wanted to re mention that scene as uh being so good. Um that's all of kind of the main st- stuff I wanted to get to, I think there are discussions to have on maybe some of the nitpicky stuff, that kind of stuff. Really the nitpicky stuff for me comes down to the suit. It makes no sense. Um, it should be heard everywhere you're going when it gets stabbed. There's no way the part that gets stabbed should ever be completely invisible. Like you're breaking the screen there. Like, um, repair would be impossibly intense. So I don't believe a suit could have been repaired. There had to be three suits. Um, like it's, it's, uh, the timing On that, like where he is at the hospital and then Tom is at, his brother is at, uh, Sydney's house. There's no time for him to really get there, but there's also no time for him to alert his brother to get there that fast either. Like I, like, I just don't there, that had to already be an action, I guess, which then I don't understand what the purpose of that being an action was. Then there's moments in that scene where like when Sydney is escaping, like she escapes out of her room to the hallway. Mm. Maybe I'm misremembering this and Mm. the chat can help correct me. Uh, I should have gone back and, and rewound and watched it again. She escapes somebody holding her in her bedroom to the hallway and then gets rocked from the front in the hallway. And at that moment I'm going, are they both there? like are, mm. are there two suits there are they like is tom and his brother there for part of this and if mm. so why isn't his suit glitching anymore like um it i got a little confused at the geography for a couple of those moments at the house like how is this happening how is this uh occurring so um and the suits shouldn't just fit everybody like it's like anybody who puts the suit on you know eh, just fits perfectly and works perfectly um, but, uh, but yeah, so I got a little confused by that stuff, but it doesn't matter. It's just the, the movie has you exactly where, uh, where it wants you. So, um, so yeah, it ends up working. I like to pause right
1: now and give thanks to Roger Clemens for the word misremember because <laughs> it was a very good word. Um, and I'm not sure I'd ever heard it before his steroid hearings. Um, uh, let me see what I got here for notes. Okay. The biggest thing I want to talk about right now is that bacon. She is frying bacon in a pile. If you look at that frying pan, you've got two eggs and then there are Overlapping bacon pieces. <laughs> That's not how you do
0: bacon. You do not cook bacon in a
1: pile. <laughs> you you that could have caught on fire even if there wasn't an invisible man in there. You're not gonna cook things evenly. It really bothered me. The movie um, doesn't know how to bacon correctly. Lee Winnell does this camera trick. He does it in um uh upgrade, and he does it in this movie mm-hmm. where does it a couple times in this movie. movie? Somebody yeah. falls to the ground and the camera falls to the ground with them, and it's mm-hmm. extremely effective. And I'm not sure why. I never saw much of that at all before he came along because it seems like something that somebody mm-hmm. would have thought. I'm sure somebody did it before him. But yeah. the thing is, he he uses it very effectively. I love that he's so positive he has her completely pegged that dude didn't change the security code to his front door after he faked his death. Mm-hmm. When she goes to his house to steal and hide the suit, second suit, the front door gate code is exactly the same as when she lived there. I just think that speaks to the guy's hubris. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, yeah. i my confusion is how Adrian got to the restaurant, because she takes off, and I'm not sure unless he's tracking her phone, which is entirely possible, given the nature of their relationship. She was taking birth control without telling him, and he knew it and was swapping it out with other stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a tracker on her phone. But other than that, I don't know how he even knows where she went. Yeah, yeah. She gets a, enough of a head start there and calls her sister saying, meet me in a public place. They, she doesn't even say at that moment where they're
0: going. I don't know. I just... Uh, when, when it Maybe Tom to that had scene, eyes on the sister or something. I don't know.
1: Like, I think yeah. that's probably how the movie will explain most of the stuff we would nitpick is that they were both
0: doing stuff the whole time. Um, well, I will say Lee, uh, Lee Winnell has explicitly said the only time that Tom is in the suit is when he's caught. That that is the only invisible... Um, man stuff that was the brother was that one time but he could still have been like i don't know following or oh, yeah no, out he was definitely sister. part of the conspiracy for sure yeah yeah, yeah. that's clear I, I do love the way the the word surprise is used as a um plot tool uh I, I like the way it's used in the final scene uh both against her and then she turns it uh, back on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good writing. I just think that's good writing.
1: Yeah, everything about this movie is good except for the stuff we nitpick. But when a movie is this good, you don't nitpick because all movies have things <laughs> you can nitpick. That's right. All right. Well, uh, I am for one curious to see what this week's super secret double feature is going to be airing. Be very, very quiet. Secret?
0: What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. <laughs> I went through some choices. Uh, I think, you know, the mind immediately goes to other invisible persons, movies, Mm -hmm. um, the OG, I will say, uh, I'm not picking the OG, the invisible man, but it is worth watching. Mm. I know it's old. I know it's a completely different style of cinema for how old it is, but it's really good it's actually a really good movie i just recently saw it within the last couple years and i was like oh this is good filmmaking whereas
1: Um, memoirs of an invisible man or hollow man you can probably just skip those
0: (laughs) (laughs) i thought of hollow man only because it's i think it's trying To speak to a little bit of the creepiness of men in the idea of invisibility. And that is definitely part of this movie. Yes. However, Hollow Man is, it puts you in those shoes instead of observing those shoes. And it's just, it's just, it's not well done. Um, So I didn't go with Hollow Man. I thought of what lies beneath because there's a lot of gaslighting in what lies beneath as well. Um, It's a little more plays in the supernatural than something like this does. But I I spent a lot of time thinking I was going with What Lies Beneath uh, for my Super Secret Double Feature. But what I eventually went with was Steven Soderbergh's Unsane. Um, This, I think, fits really, really well. Um, This famously was the iPhone movie. Um, And I wish it didn't have that, like around its neck, that millstone around its neck, because though it was shot with an iPhone and though it's interesting how he uses that to have the camera in, you know, claustrophobic places and those kind of things, it's a really good story and it deals a lot with the same things of gaslighting, in fact, to the point of, uh, being put away, um, the character here is also put away in a, a mental facility and has to find a way to the truth. Um, so. I think it works on a lot of levels and would be a great double feature uh, with this. I
1: I remember two things about, well, I remember one thing about What Lies Beneath, and that was that the trailer absolutely spoiled the big thing Mm. about that movie, and that was one of the most notorious trailer spoils, I think, ever. And then I watched the movie, and I don't remember a thing. I don't remember (laughs) that movie at all. Um, But Unsane is one I have not gotten around to as well, Um, but, you know, Soderbergh when when he hits his hits are so good uh i'll eventually get to watching this i'm sure i don't think he misses
0: i like i i like every one of his movies like mm. there's there is uh there i don't love them all but man mm. i just think for i should say this first i first as prolific as he is i think his batting average is insane
1: i agree um, with that i agree with that uh the the girlfriend experience was not a good experience.
0: Uh, fair, that's the fair. The
1: show they made out of that was good, but uh, that was nothing like the film. Right. Um. And anyway, but he's very experimental. Uh. So maybe I shouldn't say his hits. I should say not all his experiments work for me. But <laughs> when they <laughs> yeah. do, they really work. Um. Yeah. What is our homework, Mr. Aaron Dicer, for next week?
0: Uh, well, you know, I thought we'd go with some light material now that we're out of uh, October, so Next. we're going to watch Doubt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I literally just watched this two days ago. No way! I absolutely love do this do movie. I love this movie. I can't wait. Um, came up in conversation recently uh, also because it is the second film from the director of Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, Wow, which blew my mind, Jeremy, he did Joe versus the volcano. And then he did this sat around Uh, for 35 years and then made (laughs) this, that's insane um he he wrote it as a uh stage play i believe and then Mm -hmm. converted it to a movie and directed the film and i mean clearly just look at the poster and see meryl streep philip seymour hoffman and amy adams and you can go okay yeah i get why this might be good uh so yeah doubt we're gonna take a look at doubt uh for next week and have a conversation
1: oh i can't wait i've seen this movie several times i recommend it to people uh, frequently, especially if I find out they're Catholic. Um, it is on Showtime right now, according to my Googling, and that means uh, if you have a premium subscription at Fubo, Sling, Hulu, YouTube, Amazon, Roku, you can watch it because that will include Showtime. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. you probably will be renting it, but I promise you uh, this is an experience that you will probably not forget for a long time. Uh, one of those movies that makes you think and then discuss and then argue with your loved ones about who is right and who is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um all right, I think that's probably going to do it for this week. Um we are banking some questions, so one of these weeks we'll have to go through a film really fast so we can do questions. <laughs> or like my dad, a preacher, whenever, like like once every two or three months, we would have a singspiration where we would just, mm, I remember those, it would be all songs. And I just mm-hmm. always joked that he just wanted to take a week off and write a sermon.
0: Um, <laughs> or or like both of our dads are preachers, so yeah. we, we both have this common experience. But Or you'd have those weeks where it was like... I think maybe it's testimony time this this week (laughs) like i think it just it just feels like you know like a lot of people have things to say so if you've got something come on up and say it
1: i mean i don't envy preachers having to write a new sermon every
0: single week no no no
1: um all right that's gonna do it for this week episode 89 your homework for next week is doubt a phenomenal film i cannot wait to discuss thank you again to the chat for turning up and weighing in and keeping us on our toes And uh, for Aaron Dicer, this is Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next time. See you guys. Part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreoncom sins Chat with us on the Cinema Sins Discord at discordgg sins or Cinema Sins Twitter at cinemasins, and email any comments or questions to That's recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's r e c o t o p i a at cinemasins.com.